Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts and the paranormal and psychic ability. We also discuss incest and rape because I am a survivor and we talk truth and many times people who survive, we aren't equals and we have to hide. So this is a place where I don't have to do that. Um, let's see. Uh, we discuss philosophy, theology, agnosticism, atheism, Christianity, Buddhism, uh, domestic violence, which essentially is usually a man beating a woman or kids. It's usually a man beating a woman. We need to come up with something different than just domestic violence because I think it's actually more of gender bias violence. Um, we need a different name for it, but um, let's see what else. Willful education. Uh, therapy, recovery, 12-step, BDSM, kink, uh, codependency and enabling, uh, service work, empathy, uh, LGBTQIA, do-da, do-da, that too. Okay? All right. Yeah. These are a couple topics we'll be talking about today or may cross. I might talk about one of them or none of them. Just depends on the mood. I might talk about all of them too. That would be a that would be a, quite a long episode, I believe. So these topics can sometimes be triggering and you need to make a decision and use your discernment and figure out if these are some topics you want to listen to or talk about or, you know, interact with. If mental health stuff is kicking up for you, uh, there's a couple 1-800 numbers in my notes, just to clarify there. Uh, that's for people who may not have the resources to or the privacy to get to a therapist. And so that's some option there. Um, there are nonprofit organizations. Essentially, I offer those because not everybody has the money to afford a therapist. So that's one option to reach out for. Um, please uh, use your discernment. And uh, if mental health stuff is kicking up for you, do reach out for a licensed therapist. Understand that is not me. This is just one case study, one person's perspective about how I survived and how I get through the day-to-days when I still get flashbacks and have to kind of just try to adjust quite frequently uh, uh, kind of hardwired responses sometimes that got beat into me. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, so everybody deserves some help, and sometimes it's hard to ask for help. In 12-step, we call it the 10-ton phone. Reaching out for help is kind of difficult. And this week, I, I've been playing phone tag with a the therapist for a couple weeks. In, a couple, in about a month or two, she might have some time to free up, so I might actually be getting to talk to a therapist. So it's, it's just phone tag and um, I have to kind of get settled and sit down and just get prepared to make the phone call because what I'm doing is calling an unknown person to talk to them about some of the worst memories of my life. So, you know, <laughs> I'd kind of be prepared. And like this time it took me about three or four days to respond because it was just like, okay, I got to get there. I got to get there. And I finally did. So I think we kind of have an understanding and I'm looking forward to that unfolding. But uh, and, and so that's kind of part of the progress there. It takes some work sometimes. And if you got low funds, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, of a challenge. Yeah. I think a licensed board certified therapist is a great option for you. Okay. I got a website. Hey, check out the website. It's at anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. And that's going to auto forward because uh, they went to 
they changed our name names now to Spotify for podcasters. And so things might look a little bit different there, but you can still get to it with the old address of anchor.fm forward slash MoMA. And since that's working, hey, why not? You can go ahead and check out and download the uh, podcast. You can look at the notes. You can donate. Hey, that's a nice option. Hello, please donate. That would be great. Five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, that type of thing. That'd be fantastic. And this supports me because I talk about my ancestors here. That's a big part of this. And also talking about the haunted house which is the doorway to a lot of this. So uh, uh, the, the house on Valencia Street was a haunted house that I grew up in as a, as a kid, uh, from being a child to being in a preteens, and a lot of weird shit happened there. <laughs> it was haunted. It was very haunted. It exists, and it's kind of an enigma. And uh, got sisters in their 60s, me and my 50s, we're still talking about this place. I'm documenting some of the occurrences that happened there that I've heard about here. It helps. And also it helps me be present with my ancestors. It feels real good talking about them and just factually documenting who they were. It makes me feel good. So wrote her and said, hey, here's a picture of mom. And it was from inside the house on Valencia Street in the living room. And it's uh, she was in her nightgown and she had this look on her face like she was just like a, I don't know, Doris Day. She had a smile and she was looking up at the ceiling and she had her arms out like she was dancing, like, ta-da! And there's a little flannel like that and it was quite a beautiful little image. And I sent that to Rachel Sophia and she wrote back and said, where is that picture? I don't know if I know that picture. And I'm like, well, I am the keeper of photos. Actually, I'm also the keeper of the bribe photos in my family. Uh, we had a hard time communicating directly that we loved each other, but sarcasm and passive aggression sometimes work better. But I would keep photos and I'd always kind of say if you you know if you mess with me because I, I I took the photos of graduation for my sisters a couple of them from college and uh, some of the best photos of mom that people have said I took them you know and actually I'm looking at a photo that I took when I was just 15 years old sitting in a car named Ralph uh, it was an 81 Ford Fairmont and mom's looking at me and she's just lit up like a candle. She's just big old face, real happy and got her big old glasses on. And uh, I was just 15 and uh, learning that people want to be looked at. People want to be noticed and people want their picture taken sometimes. And I learned how to fit in. So some of the best photos in my family that we've talked about uh, when we were growing up before people could get money and hire photographers and things were, were taken by me and my family. And um I guess there was kind of safety in observing and kind of voyeuristically watching, you know, by not engaging and just kind of being a foil, you know, but uh, a couple of points this week. Updates, updates. Let's see what we got. Um, we'll do a spiritual update. Spiritual update. Uh, Kay, Kay, the farm wife, uh, who um, was my mom's best friend. I really enjoyed getting her letters together and getting her cards. And then this week, when I after I recorded that session, there was kind of a little rumble in the spiritual response. The first thing was uh, I was doing my prayer and meditation, and I just connected up to Kay. And she's floating over there. And sometimes when you're doing prayer and meditation, you're not aware of everything. Sometimes you have to kind of pause and listen and then cross a path or a barrier, and then something pops. Um, I've seen sometimes when I've made choices where I've made sacrifices or humility that I'll have a little spiritual mentor pop up afterwards and kind of nudge me and go, I, I saw that. That was a good choice, right? So sometimes when I take these actions and document these stories, I have some spiritual kickback, you know, and this week this happened and it was real good. It was real good. Kay seemed, I in my meditations, I was hearing from my mom's best friend, Kay, and 
from what I responded, I've been talking about my family members, at least half a dozen of them on this podcast for two years now. It's surprising to me when we're talking about a spirit and they have a response I haven't really anticipated, right? So I was kind of doing my prayer meditation, listening to some silence, and then Kay starts bubbling up and she's just tickled pink. And I keep getting this tickled pink, tickled pink. I can see Kay laughing a lot. And mom and Kay laughed a lot together. And if you knew my mom, she had kind of a sarcastic humor. And because to survive what we did, you had to have a fucked up sense of humor because we were trying to, you know, they were trying to destroy us and blame us. And we were like, okay, we're going to survive this shit. So (laughs) Kay and Darlene had a really great friendship. And now that I've kind of been more aware and if I get still and listen, things will become more available to me that I may not see because they're subtle. Kay was a farm wife. Kay wasn't going to come bowl you over. That wasn't the way she was. That wasn't her nature. So in meditation and prayer this week, she's been just talking to mom. Or there's this energy of like, oh, that was so fun. I can't believe she did that. I'm just really honored. I can't believe she let me on her podcast. That really makes me feel so special. And this is the kind of energy I'm getting from Kay, which I didn't anticipate. (laughs) Which, you know, because none of my other family members were going, oh, this is so fantastic. I'm not getting that from my other family members. They're present. Some of them are begrudgingly, like, validating it. But when I'm doing this prayer meditation, I'm talking to them. They're acknowledging it, but I'm also talking about some of their flaws and some of the poor choices they made while they were growing as people you know so but it's been nice kind of hearing Kay emotionally kind of like be really happy to be represented and also that she was a good writer with a big heart and that was right there in that writing that I shared last week so that's been real nice but she also guided me to a picture of her because I was in prayer meditation this week and I said I need to find a picture of Kay and Darlene and I said I don't think I have any pictures of Kay and Darlene and I was just kind kind of racking my mind and what spirit does is if I get quiet and I listen the object will sometimes talk to me. So it showed me the XYZ coordinates of where this photo of her was located. I just said, are there any, do I have any pictures of Kay and Darlene in my house? And then it just showed me like a grid in my, my mind. It just said, okay, it is located in this book. It is located on one page. There's one photo of, there's one photo of Kay and Darlene in this book. And so I was like, okay. So I just kind of came out and let it guide me right to it. And I flipped through it and bingo, there it was. You know, they're just mature women who've known each other a hundred years. And uh, they got these big moon kind of faces with this kind of pale skin, big furry hair and smiling eyes and smiling teeth. And they're leaning on each other and they've known each other a hundred years and they're in their sixties getting elder and got gray hair now. And what the hell, you know, it's just, there's so much power in that image. So I shuffled around my little altar this week and had Kay and Darlene and a photo of them leaning on each other with big fat smiles on their face because they were so happy and they glowed when they were together. And oh, what a, what a beautiful little gift. So there's that. There's been a spiritual kickback talking about the farm wife. She was happy, I think, to be talked about. And I think she understood. I loved her and it felt good to share her love for my mama. That felt real like an honor and a privilege. So I appreciate that because that's a rare, rare thing. Yeah. Okay, a couple more updates. I guess I'll start the second one with uh, Dolores Claiborne. Um, I've been working with, and that'll bleed into the third point, which is AI, because people have mm, talking a lot about AI, and I'm being paid to interact with an AI and script AI. So I thought I'd kind of interject some of that at the end of this uh, this pod. The second point, though, about Dolores Claiborne, that's a Stephen King novel. Um, I was doing some research on, um, I can't remember how I got into the movie and the plot of that, but part of the AI scripting I'm doing is I'm feeding it content. So I'll 
summarize, I'll say, hey, take the summary from a review and tell me what you think the person thinks of this thing. And so you're evaluating the AI script brain, uh, contextually evaluating stuff, and you're trying to challenge it, right? That's your job. Um, Dolores Claiborne, uh, Kathy Bates, uh, David Strathairn, amazing movie. There's a lot of talented actors, Christopher Plummer, uh, written by Stephen King. Why go back to that movie? I was going to dive into the movie Dolores Claiborne by Stephen King because it talks about themes of domestic violence and survival and repressed memories. I watched it this past week because I was doing some deep diving on David Strathairn. David Strathairn played the abusive person in the movie uh, Dolores Claiborne. Uh, Kathy Bates was the main actress. And that movie is a real study on abusive personalities and the people that are surviving abusive personalities. Um, and what it's like, well, a white man's perspective, Stephen King, of what it's like to live within an abusive relationship. And, you know, the first thing is class. She can't get room and board. And she has a kid. So that's why she's stuck in an abusive relationship. And there's a couple famous quotes from that movie. What was it? Uh, her boss, Vera, in the movie Dolores Claiborne, her boss is this uh, real bitch. And she ends up sending three or four people before Dolores comes in for the interview crying. She'll just come in and she'll just be so verbally abusive they leave crying. Because Dolores Claiborne had an abusive husband, she understood you know, so she was drawn to what she knew. And she's like, okay, I, I've put up with the insults. So I know what to do. And so she's like sitting there going, I'm sure. And she just was insulting her left and right in the introduction. But uh, the the character, Kathy Bates, she talked about that movie that, um, well, we'll get to the Dolores Claiborne part. I was researching David Strathairn because he's a fascinating actor. He's like the leading actor that's humble that you don't recognize. Some of his work that I like a lot is Limbo. Uh, Limbo is a, he was in that with Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio uh, and Chris Christopherson. That's an obscure movie not a lot of people know about, but the movie Limbo, the ending, I'm still thinking about the ending of that movie. And it was just, you don't quite know. You're in between and that's what the movie was engineered to do and that's the plot of the movie. It's, it's a fascinating movie. David Strathairn is a really amazing actor, although in Dolores Claiborne, he's a raving monster, right? Uh, while I was researching this, I was looking at a couple clips because I was going to use it as content for some of my AI scripting work. And I didn't realize while I was looking through it, there was, a, there was this one clip and it said, oh, repressed memory. And I went, oh, repressed memory. So I clicked on that and it shows him buying like, some coffee and how he's taking her on this ferry and then he's making her touch his thigh. And, and I was just sitting there going, uh-oh. And so she, they showed this woman in this version, because you don't see this in media that often, of this young woman going back to where she was and having a repressed memory of being molested and she didn't remember she'd been molested. And one of the big plot points in Dolores Claiborne is that her mother doesn't directly kill her father, but leads her father into a place where he has an accident. Right. And so then he dies and it um, because he was threatening to kill her. He was molesting his daughter. She was poor. She didn't have any other options financially. So she took this job with this horrible monster Vera up in the hill with this amazing house. And so um, I, I was just kind of going through researching this thing. And then I, I thought, oh, I'll click on that. And then it hit me. It was like, uh oh, and then I, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I 
maybe shouldn't have watched that, you know, uh, you know, cause I, I was sitting there going, uh-huh. That's, I was like, I wanted to lean in and watch it, but I was also like, I've been on the receiving end of this. So I had these kind of complex feelings come up, especially this week. I called the therapist and we were playing phone tag and I, we actually got some timelines another month or two. She might have an opening. So I'm on the wait list. Yay. I guess that's progress. So Dolores Claiborne, sometimes when you're doing research like that, you just end up stumbling into a plot point. You don't realize it's like, oh, this is about child molestation. And I, I am a survivor of that now. And now I'm watching a memory, uh, stumbling into a repressed memory because I got a repressed memory that just kicked in a couple years ago that triggered the start of this podcast. <laughs> if I hadn't had that repressed memory, I don't think I would have started this podcast. Uh, so, um, cause that's the immediate trigger and that first episode you can definitely hear that anyway um so that happened this week and also i'll offer some observations about that david strathorn who plays the monster abuser in the um movie he's kind of charming and good looking at times if you look at him right the one thing i'll say about the movie when it came to plotting that particular monster is that stephen king can get kind of one-dimensional and in my experience uh, he looks a lot like he looked like a good looking version of howard who was a supervisor at the post office who liked to beat my mom into the hospital and threaten to kill us so he reminds me of howard because he has a similar eye his eyes are set similarly his face shape is set similarly the dark hair the way he you know the thing is david strathorn is a much more stereotypically attractive person than my stepdad was and also he's in much better shape than uh, my stepdad was <laughs> and it's really confusing too because i'm studying this thing it's like oh he's just like my abusive stepdad i was like well one of the main differences is they portrayed uh, they, they directed and portrayed that character who's the abuser uh, to be a little bit more stupid than abusers tend to be in my experience uh abusers are pretty savvy uh you don't molest how do i say this my perception is with predatory people they're very studied at uh watching people's reactions and timing because they know a lot of times when they're going to abuse they have little slivers of time in between things an example of that would be uh the former president who's being sued by e jean carroll for rape and defamation uh it was kind of triggering to watch this when i was doing this research and doing work at late at night uh you know earning my income with the ai script work i'm doing right now but yeah it was kind of a little echoey kind of it, it was really confusing too because i'm like i really admire david strathorn and i gotta admit i got a huge crush on him i got i, I admit it i got a big crush on that guy <laughs> but to see him in that abusive role which a good character actor uh to play a villain well you got to give them something charismatic or attractive to lean into that makes a more powerful reaction when you can give a villain that has a couple layers and have some empathy on them you know he you know i was thinking about the portrayal of that villain the one thing i'll offer is that even as a drunk uh, the guy that was beating my mom into the hospital was extremely calculating. He was very calculating and he knew the windows and the character in Dolores Claiborne wasn't as calculating. Uh, he wasn't as aware. And I think that he was a little sloppy uh, and that was part of the character. That's why he was drawn into the lair. But uh, it was interesting watching that unfold and going, I don't think my perception of when I've interacted with predators, they're very intelligent about some things. And I don't think that they gave the edge on that guy as much as I think that character would have been more intelligent. But that's that's neither here nor there. I, I'm very grateful for the content. And actually, if you listen to Kathy Bates talking about the movie, 
I was into, I was listening to an interview of her about 10 years ago and they were asking her cause she has such an extensive career background and she's an amazing actress. Um, they asked her what were some of her favorite roles and she kind of paused and went Dolores Claiborne because she had a, a accent coach. She had a voice coach. Uh, she had all these coaches kind of helping her get into the mindset of this character, Dolores Claiborne. It was a very well-funded, they put several million dollars into that production. That's a very difficult role, but she talked about how she got to play a character, a full body character and having a poor, you know, average looking, uh, you know, larger woman who is, uh, well, okay. I'm making judgments and shaming. Um, the demographic that Kathy Bates is, uh, physically, uh, contextually sometimes doesn't get heard and women don't get heard. And so it was really, that's one thing I'll offer about Dolores Claiborne. It offers a perspective, although the writer is a white man, the writer is a privileged white man, you know, so Stephen King. I go back to that movie because it's really well made and there's some beautiful visual work going on with the twilight scene. There's an eclipse scene where she leads him into that place where he, you know, has the accident. And to quote Vera from the movie, an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend. <laughs> that act, that, that character, that woman that plays that actor. And I feel for Dolores Claiborne, that character just gets shit on all over. I mean, she just gets, everybody's treating her like shit. And that kind of feels like my mom, you know, it's like she was a good, hardworking woman. And these people took advantage of her and said, Oh, you're, you're, you're abused. You're used to abuse. Okay, we'll treat you abusively. And so they kind of show that dynamic, which you don't really get to hear that voice, you know. Gosh, hearing Kathy Bates talk about how she really appreciated the experience of that movie. And if you just look at a couple clips on YouTube, the twilight and the eclipse and the way the sky is almost like alive and like this fluorescent. There's several directorial choices with that movie that are really fascinating. So, um, if you can stomach it, if you can settle down and, you know, have a glass of wine or smoke a doobie and watch that movie again, it's really, uh, there's some flaws with it, but it's a really fascinating work, uh, in my perception. So Flores Claiborne, check that out. Last but not least, AI scripting. Let's talk about AI scripting. There's a lot of mm, clickbait or uh, one-dimensional headlines going on with CNN or MSNBC talking about how the grandfather of AI is talking about how it's going to take over the world. Now, I'm a person who had a career in IT and some of the work I can do from home uh, that I've kind of grown into through this uh, gig work uh, that I've been, I've kind of, it took me about three or four months and about 10 qualifications, but I finally got a gig right now that is working with AI scripting. And there's lots of ways to work with AI scripting as a production worker uh, that I've stumbled into. One contract I did about a year or two ago, it took me Number one, they won't tell you exactly who they are. They won't identify themselves. That usually means they're being funded by somebody big, especially depending on how they're throwing money around. So they'll go on these platforms like Amturk or Validately or these other platforms where they test you, but they can have insulation, right? They can have insulation from you and they gigify it. Now there's a writer strike going on right now. And I don't know if you're missing Stephen Colbert because I sure am. I don't know if you're missing Seth Meyers because I sure am. And those are parts of my night. You know, I get warmed up. I have a little coffee, smoke a little maybe smoke a bowl, do my wake and bake, whatever it is. And then I'm cranking on my computer for several hours, twilight, you know, that's kind of my, the way I do things. And um, the writer strike has been 
I really like that late night comedy show that tells me the news. I, I, I look at six or seven different sources, but that gives me a little company and they're gone right now because of the writer's strike. Now I support the writers. And this is one thing that I, I'm struggling with myself. They talk about how they're gigifying the writers. The writers don't have consistent jobs. And so they'll produce streaming content and the directors, the actors, et cetera, are getting residuals, but the people who write the content aren't getting residuals by design. And you don't have a show if you don't have writers. So I don't know quite where I was comparing that to. Uh, anyway, wandering around. Let's get back to AI scripting. A lot of the work I'm doing is doing comparisons and talking about, you know, did the AI lie? Did, you're, you're trying to do AI chat interactions. A lot of the work I'm doing when it comes to this type of work. Um, people talk a lot about AI taking over the world, rewriting scripts for television. AI can be, in my experience, it depends on the model you're working with. If you have done work for a corporation or a government agency, they're going to have style guides for writing. When I worked in corporate America, when I was doing technical writing, there were style guides within, we designed and I had input on some of the style guides for our manuals, right? So AI scripting has its own style guides as well. For example, I spent three months working with an AI scripting company that was ultimately funded by Google. Uh, and it was funded by a guy who'd had really bad PR for being classist and saying really crappy things about poor people. And his programming on his AI showed that because there was major gender bias. And when I would point it out, he didn't like that. So that's another thing I found a lot of, one thing I've found in you know, tech, technology, it's going to be a gender, race, and socioeconomic demographic bias. I've worked with at least two major AI scripting head honchos that were these research organization people that were getting funded by major multi-million billion dollar companies. And they were white men with money who were sexist and racist and had all these, you know, they had these problems with their AIs, you know, some of them. Not all of them, but I've had that experience where I, I was making, I was making a, a month's worth of uh, income to pay for room and board. Uh, you know, for a few months working with these people, kind of tolerating these other parts where it's like they have weaknesses here, right? And you have to tolerate that level of what have you. Right now I'm working with a company that um, has probably lined things up pretty nicely. For example, they don't want theirs to lie. They don't want theirs to be a person. Uh, they can't have an opinion. Some of the other AI script bots want them to emulate being a person and pretend that they have a family and have a personality and a preference. You have to study them, and I've spent hours studying the particular engine that I'm working with right now that I'm studying getting a little income on. My perception, especially as a certified network administrator and having worked in IT for 15 years in my previous career, it's uh, an engine. It's uh, language and scripting. So there's really simple things you can do that can, in my experience, can, it can do a lot of damage, certainly. But let's say, for example, uh, you think someone's cracking in on your computer or you think that someone's hacked into your computer and you got a virus or you think someone's accessing your computer inappropriately. Well, you can walk over to your router and just pull the plug on the router and the, the router's down and now you're not connected to your internet. Okay. And then you got to watch your computer and see if the problem keeps exacerbating. I've actually cut off hackers that way when I was a network administrator because you could watch them and follow them uh, with your, um, you could just watch the, the, route, the router and the software and, and you could monitor it. But back to this AI scripting stuff, I think having spent so many hours working with these script chat chatbots, there are limitations to the uh, impact it's going to have on you. So for example, 
anything like this that's going to be trying to emulate or do something of this nature, it's going to be via text. Um, they're going to avoid wanting to talk on the phone, right? So you have two-point verification sometimes when you log into your Xfinity account, and then they say, we want to text you to make sure you're the right person. Here's a key code. Then you check your cell phone, then you put it in to make sure you got two-step verification. You can do that when you're working with anything via text, right? You know, if someone's sitting there chatting to you going, oh, give me your credit card information or something like that, I'll be like, mm, I'm going to verify that on the phone. Give me your phone number. What's your address? I'll call you during the business day. You know, there's simple choices you can make to make sure something that's a text-based thing can't have too much power over you. Just real simple stuff. I think some of the I think some of the flagrant over-the-top AI scripting chatbots are gonna control your whole world. I don't think that's true. And I'm making money right now by talking to one, you know, or talking to an organization that um, took me about three or four months and several qualifications. But now I'm, I've got some good part-time income coming from this thing. Just be open-minded and think about there's practical things and logical things that just because it's a program doesn't mean it's going to, you have some real practical, useful things that you could uh, do to circumvent anything that's going to get a little over the top like that. All right. So. Anyway, those are a couple thoughts I got for today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Yeah, I'm going to get a little coffee, get a little weed, and then I got to clean a terrarium. And I've been putting that off, but Sunday is the day I clean the terrarium, and that's happening after this. And uh, I pray to, I, I put that off all week, although I really appreciate the company of that little friend. So I've been trying to change my brain around it and go, I get a little friend that reacts to me and all I got to do is give him fresh veggies and clean that little terrarium. So please know here at the house on Valencia Street, you're not alone. You're never going to be alone. Not at the house on Valencia Street. Sometimes it's um, whether you like it or not. <laughs>